Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 44 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsor, Clio, and its suite of online law practice management tools. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. And I'm Catherine Sanders-Reese in Chicago. In our last episode, we talked about the new Facebook messages, web mail, and the state of email in a social media world. This week, we want to focus on what I often feel is the most underserved area of legal technology, the unique needs and issues faced by mid-sized law firms. Now, there are a lot of great resources and conferences for solos and small firms and for large firms, but frankly, it's difficult to find resources focused on just the mid-sized firms. So we brought in a great guest host, our friend Catherine Sanders-Reach at the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center to help us with this episode. Tom, do you want to tell our listeners what we have on the agenda and introduce Catherine to our listeners? Absolutely. In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will talk about the medium-sized law firm and the particular struggles they may face in adopting and using legal technology. In our second segment, we'll share our thoughts and observations about the current state of Max in the law practice. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our main topic today, the medium-sized law firm. The mid-sized firm really, I think, is in a unique position when it comes to legal technology. Smaller firms are best, better able to innovate on technology and be nimble because of their size. And larger firms have the budget uh, and the personnel to advance, uh, invest in advanced technologies. But uh, neither circumstance particularly applies to the mid-sized firm. For our show today, we have a special guest, our good friend, Catherine Sanders-Reach. Catherine is the director of the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center, and she is one of the true experts on almost every area of legal technology that I can think of. With her staff, she puts together the terrific ABA Legal Technology Survey Report each year, uh, which provides kind of a snapshot into how lawyers are using technology in their practice. Catherine, welcome to the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks, Tom and Dennis, for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about these topics today. Well, let's start out and ask sort of a basic question, because I think it deserves defining before we start out here. And that's really for in your purposes or for the purposes of the survey and for sort of scoping out what framing the issue of what we're talking about today. What is a midsize firm? And when we're talking about numbers and and who's involved, what do you consider, Catherine, to be a midsize law firm? Well, I'm going to go with two different ways of describing this. One, um, from the lawyer statistical report that's put together, uh, it's a 10-year census that the American Bar Foundation puts out. Um, statistically, the percentage of private practitioners in the United States, about 23% of all private practitioners are in firms with between 6 and 100 attorneys. Um, the outliers being 2 to 5 and solos on the other side and 100 plus. Uh, on the other. So um, looking at the survey statistics, what we've done is when I talk about mid-sized firms, I'm looking at between 10 and 99 attorneys. Now, we do divide that between 10 and 49 and 50 to 99. When there's a big difference, I'll mention it. 
Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's really the ballpark number, Catherine, that uh, that I would use. And and I've spent the actually the bulk of my career in what I call mid-sized firms. And so primarily in a firm of 40 to 50 lawyers for most of the time I was there. And then, uh, although I call it a mid-sized firm, a firm of 300 lawyers. And and so for me, mid-sized is kind of a state of mind. I sort of think that you know that you're in a mid-sized firm when you run into lawyers and solos and small firms who think that you're a large firm and that people in big firms think that you're in a small firm. But but I sort of think that there are a number of, of issues that, that start to come up and, and some some common traits that the mid-sized firms fair, uh, share. So, uh, Tom, I know you think when I was at uh, Thompson Coburn, it was definitely a big firm, but it, it, there was a certain mid-sized feel to it, especially when you were talking to people at, at the really large firms. Well, you know, I I, I think I come from more of what a, a true mid-sized firm environment was compared to Thompson Coburn. I mean, I, I suppose that there are big firms like Thompson Coburn who might function or think of themselves as me. I guess maybe I should say who did dysfunction like medium-sized firms because they, they really should be thinking larger. But um, uh, my firm uh, went all over the place. We were as high as 110 lawyers. And at the time that I left, we were down to about 30 to 35 lawyers. Uh, which was all in the pretty much range of, of medium size to almost getting to be a large size firm. And, and just uh, just to, to off the top of my head, some of the issues that um, that I think my firm had that I would imagine are common to medium sized firm is the um, we did have IT support that was in house. We didn't contract out, but it was minimal. We didn't have folks who were that highly educated on on IT. They're not. They weren't the the the, the greatest, and and we didn't have very many of them to help us out. So it was a small IT crew. We we had a uh, overall lack of appetite for large technology purposes. We were just busy billing time and making money and keeping all the money that we could because we just didn't have the budget for big technology. We only had the basics and, and very rarely did we invest in anything more major. And then as a result, what I was, what I found, um, at my firm was that one, we had lawyers that were using no advanced technology and, and suffering the consequences, or some lawyers who were advanced in technology were what I would call using underground technology. They were they were using their own technology without IT or firm consent, and and that can lead to all sorts of problems to be, uh, to begin with. So, Catherine, does that? I know we want to talk about some of the survey results and what you found. Does that sound like the typical mid-sized firm to you, or are we were were we especially dysfunctional? A lot of that does pretty much track with what we're seeing in the survey statistics. Um, in terms of tech support, uh, when we ask how many technical support staff work at your firm, and this is all locations combined, when you look at firms with 10 to 49 attorneys, uh, 33%, which is the highest percentage, had one IT person. Now, when you get up to the firms with 50 to 99 uh, attorneys, then you're seeing um, kind of split between either having three or four or up to nine. So it's, it's you know, with a firm with 50 to 99 attorneys, you're going to see at least, you know, five, six IT support. But when you go from 49 to 10, that's, that's where you're getting none or one. Um, we also find that when we ask about 
using or having availability of things like customer relationship management or document assembly software, a lot of the times, um, again, with the 10 to 49, they're kind of lower on the percentages for having it. But what I find is really interesting is often that the respondents don't know. Um, you know, they're, they, they'll say they have no earthly idea whether they have these essential um, firm-wide pieces of technology available to them that ostensibly are there to help uh, you know, help them mine information from within the firm and outside of the firm, you know, connect with clients, um, build a bigger book, all these kinds of things. And, you know, I think anecdotally, when I've talked to mid-sized firm attorneys, one told me recently, you know, we act like 99 solos. And so, you know, the firms can have all this technology in place, and a lot of times they're just uh, not either getting the training or availing themselves of the resources or they're they're to be honest kind of hoarding yeah i th- i think that I, th- that really uh, you know rings a bell with with me and my experience as well i sort of think that two things that really set off um, me, the mid-sized firms are that you either have or you're considering bringing a full-time it person in house or to actually create an IT staff. And then I think the other thing is that you either have or, you're in, or again, are thinking about creating a technology committee. Those, to me, really are, are the, in terms of technology, are really the signposts of, of, of that you're in the midsize firm category. And I, th- I think what you say is true, that there is that people are trying things. And, and I think that they may be trying things in different departments, but you don't, you don't get a good uh, spread across the firm in terms of the applications that people are using. There is a move to some more sophisticated applications. But as you say, a lot of times you ask people and they don't realize uh, that they have the tools. I mean, when I talk to firms, a lot of times I I just suggest doing an audit so people understand what's there. Because a lot of times people want to use some technology tool that the firm already owns. Tom, I, I know that from you know, our years of sharing our stories at, at mid-size firms that I think that, you know, some of those things were, were common to both of our experiences, right? Oh, I definitely think that's true. We, um, I, I know at my firm, we would have, you know, some, some advanced technologies, we would have some, some tools and I'll use, I don't, I wouldn't call summation necessarily an advanced technology, but for a lot of lawyers, it's a tool that they are not used to using for case management or for evidence management. And we had several licenses for that for years. And, and we had many lawyers in the firm who not only had no idea that it was there, they really didn't know what it was or, or what it did. And I put that down to really what we talked about earlier, the, the, the last of support in terms of uh, in terms of notifying the lawyers when you're a solo you know what your technology is because you bought it yourself you've you've got it and 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 you understand what you've got because you were responsible for bringing it in in large firms the IT department or the lit support department or, or whoever is responsible for te- technology has a vested interest in making the lawyers aware of what's available that's their job they have to to say otherwise they don't have anything to do if the lawyers aren't using that um, 
that uh, equipment. Now, in a medium-sized firm, you've got a different dynamic entirely because IT's got a lot of stuff to do, given the fact that you've only got one or two people who are serving the IT function. So they can't do everything. And what they usually wind up not doing is a very good job on uh, communicating that to lawyers. Uh, and, and that's why in my firm, and I want to ask Catherine about this, uh, in, in my firm, I wound up becoming sort of the litigation technology support person, and I worked solely with the lawyers. I worked just with them to, um, to, to, to make them aware of what they had and to train them on it. And IT really focused on working with the, the, the support staff and on making sure that everything on the back end was okay. And they left the lawyers alone, and, and we actually got around along a lot better after that. And I noticed, Catherine, in some of the survey results that, that there are instances where in mid-sized firms, you have lawyers taking over certain technology functions. I know for for updating websites that was uh, or, or updating blogs, that was something that happened more frequently. Um, is that something you're seeing? And then I guess what are some other other interesting things you found from the survey that are wor- worth uh, mentioning for the listeners? Well, let's see. Um, kind of going back to the we have it, but we don't know it's available. Two are the ones that um, I found very interesting in terms of, you know, not being aware of the availability of technology that was really something that could be very beneficial to a firm of that size to grow and to serve clients is customer relationship management, um, both for the 10 to 49 uh, size firms, 23% said they knew they had it. When you got to the 50 to 99 uh, size firms, they 40% knew they had it. But the, 36% of the attorneys in firms with 50 to 99 attorneys didn't know whether they had customer relationship management or not. And it actually harkens back to um, I had a, an attorney kind of uh, sidle over to me and ask me if I knew how to um, keep his contacts in Outlook from being passed on to the CRM um, the other day. And I smiled and said, no, I have no idea how to do that. Um and then the other one I thought was interesting was uh, when we're looking at extranets, um, they also were unaware of whether or not uh, the firm had an extranet. Uh, while 53% in firms with 50 to 99 were aware of an extranet, uh, 22% of the respondents didn't know. And to me, an extranet, you know, for clients is a fantastic tool, um, especially when you're in a firm that size. Ostensibly, you are probably serving some businesses, people who are a little bit more tech savvy, who are familiar with and have an expectation for the type of technology. So, you know, I would hope that somebody in the firm takes the responsibility to be the champion of the technology. And when we were looking at statistics for technology committees, in a firm with 50 to 99 attorneys, about 68% said they have a technology committee. Um, in a firm with 10 to 49 attorneys, 54% don't have one. Uh, 42 or 43% do have one. Um, there were very few don't know. So that's, you know, still uh, half or over half of the firms responding in those firm sizes have a technology committee. But interestingly enough, when we looked at who approves technology purchase decisions, it wasn't the technology committee. It was the executive committee. So it sounds like the technology committee is often tasked with 
investigating the technology, but the the final decision is not necessarily left to them. So if you're on the technology committee, I guess, you know, you could look at it as now that I've done all this investigation, if we can convince the executive committee to purchase the thing, then we need to communicate its availability and the advantages of having it. Yeah, I think that I, that really bears out with what I've I've seen as well, and 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 in the survey results that you you shared with us as well, I sort of saw as as you moved into the medium sized categories, as you moved across that divide at at fifty, you really saw this movement toward internal IT staffing, and a reduced use of external consultants, and then also you see that a lot of the recommendations seem to be made by the IT staff rather than the attorneys, and as you say, purchasing decisions gets made by the executive committee and then the technology committee, which can be really useful. I mean, I think it's really striking to say that you could have maybe 50% of mid-sized firms trying to make technology decisions without a, a technology committee. That strikes me as you're really putting yourself in a difficult place. But I, but I think the executive committee piece of it is I've always felt that there should be a member of the executive committee on the technology committee that um, where you have that separation where the technology committee has to come hat in hand to the executive committee committee. Typically, you have a, an executive committee that's not committed to technology, that doesn't understand technology, and it makes it pretty difficult to to get decisions made. So I think that that structuring of a technology committee is also part of that. And and that, I think, is one of the, the learnings that I saw out of the, the survey results is a potential weakness, even in the firms that have moved to technology committees as part of their decision making. Tom? No, I totally agree. And and speaking from personal experience, our technology committee uh, was established, uh, met rarely, was told almost every time that it really doesn't matter what you decide. We don't have the money to do what you want to do. And so I think we were largely impotent. We were not able to to accomplish what needed to happen. And so my my big my biggest tip and takeaway here is to somehow expand the use of a technology committee, but not just the use of it. I mean, I think that the survey shows that that most firms have technology committees. I don't particularly think for mid-sized firms they're all that effective. And so finding some way to 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 rest power away from the executive committee um, or at least give more power to the technology committee is really important if if uh, if mid-sized firms are really have a chance to uh, to 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 grow with technology uh, let's I want to finish out this segment Catherine from the survey are there any last few tidbits or or points from the survey about mid-sized firms that you think our listeners ought to hear about well um, I think one question that people always are asking at this point in time is uh, what kind of migration are we seeing over to the software as a service space? Is is especially in a mid-sized firm? Um, you know, can this reduce the reliance on? You know, maybe you could free up some of the IT staff's time and not just dealing with servers and software, but really, you know, helping do more training, uh, getting on the floor, um, and and kind of being the champions of technology that I think need to be there. Um, and, and lawyers obviously don't have the time to do that. So looking at software as a service as an ability to kind of shift the burden um, from the hardware and software infrastructure to the cloud, looking at those statistics, we saw um, 10 to 49, uh, law firms with 10 to 49 attorneys, only 20% had used a web-based software or service solution. And firms with 50 to 99 attorneys, about 24% had used 
software as a service. Um, so that leaves, you know, 80% and 76% at a definitive no. And we broadly defined it. We gave them examples, Rocket Matter, Google Apps, Mosey, pretty much anything in the cloud you can think of. And um, that just is not something that we're seeing right now in this firm size. Yeah, and to me, that's really, uh, and we'll end on this one time, but I, th- I think that's really striking because I, I think the mid-sized firms have the most potential to gain from a from a really smart cloud computing strategy. But it seems like the innovation and really the movement in the cloud space has been in big firms and in, in the very, sm- very small firms. So I'm actually... Uh, as you know, I've really become very worried about mid-sized firms in this market, and technology is just one of the things they have to to worry about. And we, we've given some a few ideas, I think, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done by mid-sized firms. And uh, you know, I, I think uh, time these are there's going to be some topics we've raised here that we'll come back and visit because I think the mid-sized firms really are in a difficult space these days. I do agree. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Clio, with its great suite of online practice management tools. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Catherine Sanders-Reach. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We have another edition today of the Stuff We've Been Talking About segment. Our sponsor, Clio, recently released some results of another survey, this time of Mac users in the legal profession. Um, Catherine also has her own survey results on the way lawyers have used technology, so we thought it would be good to take a look at where Macs are being used in the practice of law at the end of 2010 and where they're likely to go in the future because there's definitely a sense that that there is movement in the in the Apple and Mac direction. Catherine, are, are you finding data that, that's showing there is some move to the Macintosh platform? You know, we've been doing the survey for about, uh, well, over a decade, uh, and we ask about which operating systems are being used and for their primary computer. The solo market has a, a slowly growing um, affinity towards the, the Mac OS uh, with about 
6.2% using max this year. Total numbers, 3.1, which is no different from the last three years. So overall, we have not seen um, a big migration to the Mac OS. The bigger the firm size, the less likely they are to use a Mac. What I think is very interesting is how many solos went to Vista, but that's a different topic. Well, and the other thing is, so I didn't, to give fair shrift to uh, to Apple, I looked at the iPhone statistics, and we, we have seen, um, you know, year-over-year growth in the use of iPhones since they came out in late 2007, about five percentage points, so that, you know, in the consumer market now, iPhones have completely trumped Blackberries, um, but still in the legal market, we are still seeing a lot of holdouts with the Blackberries, but the iPhone is um, ever-increasing. You know, I thought it was interesting in the survey response um, that Clio conducted, they 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 surveyed around 835 lawyers or, or not just lawyers, but they also surveyed in-house counsel. They surveyed um, law students as well. And and of those 835, 55 percent of them of the lawyers are using Macs in their office. And I think that when you look at the numbers, you're talking probably somewhere in, in the range of of 350 to 400 out of the out of the 835 people are are using Macs in their office. Um, but about two thirds of the lawyer respondents are small firms. And I think that bears up with uh, at least although the numbers seem to be higher, Catherine, then it seems to bear up with your um, survey results that most of the folks who are using Macs in the office are small firm lawyers rather than big firm lawyers. I just don't I, I think that Macs may be better tools, but I just don't think that it's practical for midsize firms or large firms for that matter to move to Macs. They're just more expensive than PCs. And, and even when they're being bought in bulk, I just think that that's something that law firms are, are always looking to buy the cheaper version and the cheaper version is at least for a while anyway going to be the pc i i thought what was very interesting about the one statistic in terms of the future is the fact that 63 percent of the law students are using max and i'll be interested to see how this translates when they move into law firms and begin throwing their weight around and demanding the Macs be used uh, in law practice. So I, I'll be interested to see how that translates to uh, your future surveys, Catherine. Dennis, any final comments on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's two two trends that really play play into this. And and one one is the cloud computing. As we move more toward the cloud, then the actual computer we use becomes less important because we're using a, a browser. And the other thing, which which I think is probably the most fascinating trend that we talked about in all of our programs this year time, and that's this sort of bring your own computer phenomenon. And uh, so, so I think that as people get more personal choice about the computer they want, you're going to see more Macs. And I, I we talked, uh, I think in the last one of the last couple of shows when we traveled, it was like everybody I saw in the airports and on planes had a Mac, and it was it was very noticeable. So I think you see some of that trending. And then I also think that we're at a time where if you're buying a computer right now. I think that what you are buying, whether it's a Mac or it's a Windows machine, is probably going to be so much better than what you're using at work um, that that's starting to drive things. So people are starting to say, well, I, I'm using the Internet, I'm do, using cloud tools, I'm doing all these things, so my computer doesn't matter, and I'm getting something at home that maybe I can't even do work on, so I want to get what I want. 
And I think that you tend to see uh, more Macs in that space. And then as our kids who live on Macs uh, influence our decisions more and more, I, th- I think you, you see that movement. But I sort of feel in the last six months even that there, you, I definitely feel a, a movement in the legal space, but primarily in personal choice and where people have the ability to pick their own things. But So I think it's always going to be small firm rather than big firm because of you know infrastructure, purchasing issues, the other things you talked about. And now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, for my parting shot, I'm going to uh, surprise no one and talk about something Google related, but it's something that I'm fairly excited about. Uh, it's I think Google's attempt to uh, keep Google Docs, the premier online document creation service, uh, and, and tamp down Microsoft's web offering. And what they have now is they have um, their, a, a plugin called Cloud Connect, which is designed to tie your Google Docs directly into Microsoft Office. So if you're editing a document in Word and you hit save, it will automatically sync to your Google Docs account each time you do that. If you want to share a preview of your document uh, without worrying what file format uh, the the people you're sending it to can open, just send them a link to the Google Docs file. And uh, the the, the plugin is supposed to support Word, PowerPoint, and Excel. Um, The bad news is, is that it was so popular that they cut off the downloads after a while and now you have to register for it. So if you're interested, go and register so that when they open that up again, you can uh, be one of the first people to download a copy. Catherine? Wow, Tom, that was a great one. <laughs> and and it speaks to people like me who haven't gotten on the, cloud, uh, the, the board with Dropbox yet. Okay, my tip is an Outlook tip. And I, I recently found it in Outlook 2007. Uh, when someone asks you about free busy time and you don't feel like going through and mining your calendar and, and typing up when you're available, you can go and uh, respond to the message or hit an, uh, send a new message. Go to the Insert tab. And in the Insert tab, you will see a little icon for Calendar. If you click on Calendar, it will allow you to show... Um, as for a specific date range, free busy time, um, you have options like show time within my working hours only and some other things, and you click OK, and it essentially mines your Outlook calendar for free busy time and dumps it into a little text box uh, in that outgoing email. So then you don't have to do anything except click a couple of buttons and send it off, and they can pick the time that you have available that matches theirs. That's great. That's a great one, Catherine. And we're so pleased that you were able to join us on this episode. Um, my, my tip is, is kind of an old reliable, but I sort of think of what resource is most helpful for the midsize, uh, firm lawyer or someone on a technology committee in a midsize firm. And I, I just go back to techno lawyer. So technolawyer.com is just a great resource, discussion, reviews, uh, you know, articles, all sorts of information. You can get email newsletters of various types. Um, I get an RSS feed into Google Reader with uh, techno lawyer information. But it, there's really, although there's a lot of small form, firm orientation as a way for somebody who's interested in technology at the mid-sized firm level, I don't really know of a better place to to get solid technology information than, than techno lawyer. And our friend Neil Squalante has been running this for years and just does a great job with it. So um, I'm always uh, glad to, to make a mention of, of Techno Lawyer when I can. 
No, Techno Lawyer is a great resource. I think that anybody should use it no matter what size, uh, but especially for mid-sized firms. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes wiki at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Keep this podcast in the middle of your iTunes podcast folder. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.